This is Chip in Durham. Erica in Edmonton. And Shannon in Durham. And welcome to the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, Episode 64, Shadow Dancing. No, this is not an ABBA podcast. Welcome to the Audio Guide. Hi, Erica. Hi, Shannon. Hi. It's really, really not an ABBA podcast. Really. No, it's not. No. And you'll be surprised to learn that dancing has very little role in this episode of Babylon 5. It's just, you know, no disco whatsoever. Uh, (laughs) Cards on the table. I had forgotten how powerful an episode this is. I mean, I love it. It's the penultimate episode of season three. So those of us who have been around the block a while know how big a deal the season finale is. Uh, This always in the back of my head was just the lead up, but there's a lot of amazing stuff that happens in Shadow Dancing, I think, and it is one of my favorites. Yeah, I had also forgotten. Well, surprise, surprise, Erica forgot what happened in the Babylon 5 episode. Um, but, and this is another one where, where, I mean, the title gives you something because the word shadow is in it. So, you know, obviously there's going to probably be something to do with the shadows. So I, I knew that there was that aspect of it, but I kind of didn't remember anything else that happened. And in watching it again, it sort of reminded me, I've been, I've been watching Game of Thrones all these, these years that it's been on. And one of the things that they do on that show is the second to last episode of the season often tends to be some sort of big blowout battle sequence, something like that. And that's that's kind of what this felt like. It was very momentous. There was a huge battle sequence, and it just seemed like a lot of really important stuff was going down. So that was that was my thought. Yeah, I would I would agree with that. I remembered uh, that this was the episode where uh, Stephen's walkabout ends. I, I had that part mm-hmm. in, um, and I remembered that Something happened as far as the Shadow War, but I'd forgotten details about the big all-out preparation uh, to counterattack in Sector 83, the fact that Ivanova and Marcus were sent in as um, scouts. I'd, I'd forgotten all of those details. We have a brand new director to Babylon 5. And we'll Shockingly. never and we'll never see her again. It's a fe- it's another female director. It's not just a, it's a, Janet Greek's not the only one um, on the roster. This one's Kim Friedman, um, and we'll have much to talk about. Uh, I think I, I will have a lot to talk about about how this, how, how what what kind of a job she did in this one. But I guess we need to uh, sort of lay down the context because there may actually be somebody listening to this podcast right now who has never watched Babylon 5 before they decided to just... Uh, I'll, I'll download this off of iTunes, whatever. Okay, I don't believe it either, but it's a pattern, <laughs> it's a format, it's what we do on this podcast. So what you need to know, if you happen to be flipping the channels on your UHF dial back in the 90s and just happen to come across this... What you would need to know is an evil, powerful race called the Shadows is terrorizing known space. Space Station Babylon 5 has become the secret base from which an alliance of worlds has formed to oppose the Shadows, led by Earth Captain John Sheridan and Minbari leader Delin. Sheridan has a personal stake in this. Years ago, his wife Anna was presumed killed by the Shadows. Among Sheridan's supporters was Chief Medical Officer Stephen Franklin, but he got hooked on stimulants, resigned, and is now trying to find himself. So, in this episode, Sheridan takes the fight to the shadows. Lots of ships blow up. Stephen indeed finds himself. And Anna is back. Dun dun dun! Just another inconsequential episode on the path to the season finale. That's it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Kim Friedman, the director. uh, She had a huge career in Los Angeles uh, television in the 80s and the 90s. She was directing DS9, Voyager, Beverly Hills 90210. That is what they called it back then, right? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Dynasty. Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. L.A. Law, I think. L.A. Law, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, she and 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 she. I believe she is now retired, except for the fact that she is the subject of her daughter's viral Instagram site, crazyjewishmom.com. 
I actually <laughs> saw a uh, ABC news story about her. Like it was shot a couple of years ago, and uh, there is there is Kim Friedman, and I'm looking at her and I'm going, "You're not acting like a, a, a pretty damn good director of Babylon Five." Um, <laughs> but people can turn. Pe- people can turn. People can evolve. People can change. Um, I've got to. I've got to go straight to uh, our directorial semi-source here, Erica. What did Stephen think <laughs> about how well this episode was directed? He thought it was great. As a matter of fact, during the cold open, uh, I think. I, I think in his head he plays a little game uh, every time. Vehar or not? Open, and it's, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Vehar or not? And this time, usually he doesn't say anything about it because he just waits to see uh, who the name is. And if it's Vehar, he's always like, I knew it. This time, I think he has gotten cocky because he actually, during the cold open, he said, I think this is another Vehar episode. Um, <laughs> because there was a there was a very dramatic push in, um, uh, in on Delenn's face as she's entering the council chambers. I think that's what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, he he was like, that's not really a Vehar thing, but it seems stylistic enough that it, he thought that was who it was. And then Kim Friedman's name pops up and he was like, what? <laughs> very, very surprised. So he ended up doing some searching, of course, after we were done to find out what else Kim Friedman has directed. And he was super disappointed to find out that she doesn't come back to Babylon 5. He was not surprised to learn that she had done so much other stuff. But he actually said that when he first saw his first Mike Vehar episode and thought it was amazing... And he remembered that Mike Vehar had directed some Deep Space Nine. He was thinking at that time, he thought, oh, there's an episode of Deep Space Nine I bet Mike Vehar directed because I remember watching the, the episode The Ship and thinking it was just amazing direction. It blew him away. Guess who directed that? It wasn't Mike Vehar. <laughs> it was Kim <laughs> Friedman. Okay. So we've come full circle now, people. <laughs> Which is not a Babylon 5 episode. That's a Doctor Who episode. Correct. Correct. Mixing my fandoms. Yeah, um, I really liked it. I really it, it did feel different from a lot of other Babylon Five episodes um, in a couple of ways. Uh, first of all, she was really into extreme close-ups, really extreme close-ups, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. which didn't quite work on our um, on our um, Drazi at the beginning of the episode because you see where the makeup just doesn't get all the way around the edges of the eyes and the lips and all that stuff. You can tell that there's a Caucasian actor underneath. Um, but uh, but also, and this had to have been just a collaboration with the folks at Foundation Imaging and everything else, but um, the scenes in the, in the tactical center on the Mimbari ship where um, Sheridan and Delenn are basically striding like gods through the universe and the whipping camera movements that uh, sort of functioned as a pretty high energy wipe between scenes. Um, um, this was very, this is a very artfully directed episode. Mm-hmm. It was. Yeah. Another okay. one of the moves just even in the cold open was the camera move in CNC. It was actually immediately after Steven assumed that it was Mike Vehar. The mm. camera is kind of panning yeah. artfully up and down across CNC. And he's like, oh, yeah, that's got to be Vehar. And then he was very chagrined when he discovered it was not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's interesting because we're looking at B5 so much more closely now. Um, we're spending a lot of time on directors and camera movements and things like that. And I'm sort of disappointed in retrospect that so much of Babylon 5 is pedestrianly or competently directed uh, when you get a Vehar or a Janet Greek or for one brief shining moment Kim Friedman here um, it sort of rises above and and otherwise it's kind of it's kind of sort of been getting the job done and it just goes to remind me that this really is a writer's show not a director's show would you all agree mm-hmm. yes yeah i think so i think the only thing that like jumped at me directorially was um at the point where uh ivanova and marcus and the white star first get uh hit by the shadow scout and we get the the classic you know everybody shake around because you've just been hit kind of thing <laughs> and that felt very star trek to me more so because a lot of times a lot of our battles in Babylon 5 um tend to be from the station or in star furies you know or big ships where you don't get that same you know we've just been hit and everybody feels it 
so this right. episode has t- essentially two plots. The lead up to the most epic space battle we've seen yet in Babylon 5, uh, surpassing Severed Dreams, and also the end of Stephen's walkabout. Uh, let's, so let's take the space story first. What did you all think about the first open conflict between Sheridan and Delenn's Army of Light and the Shadows? Well, I liked that they took the time to show that this was still a a shaky, fractious alliance, not completely sold on working together. I like that they took the time to show that Delenn is still having to struggle, Sheridan, they're both still having to struggle to keep this alliance going uh, and to get them to commit. Uh, that, I think, was helpful in setting up and making the battle, once it happened, even bigger, because the other thing I noticed is how they they were careful in rendering the battle to show everybody getting on, on the action, you know, seeing the Drazi ships, seeing the uh, Burkiri ships, seeing uh, a, a Narn cruiser in there thrown in somewhere, as well as the Mimbari ships and the White Stars. And I thought those the pre can we pull this off and the post we're pulling this off um, really meshed together and balanced the episode. And then the post post did we really pull this off? Because it's yeah. kind of it's kind of it's kind of a pyrrhic victory in the end. It feels like. Yeah, that was the thing that I liked is that, it, it, as Shannon said, I also appreciated how how they had to kind of pull teeth to get to the point where they were able to do this. So it didn't feel like it was super easy. And then they still didn't make it feel like it was super easy at the end. It wasn't one of those sort of, uh, you know, archetypal ep- like fairy tale stories where they go through a bunch of tragedy and stuff and, you know, they work really hard and then there's triumph and everybody lives happily ever after. No, this is not that kind of a show that it's they still live in the real world. They lost a lot of forces and, you know, they didn't completely just wipe out the shadows mm-hmm. i mean a bunch of them got away they just I, you know they to drove me, away. I just, yeah, yeah and they I, spend a lot of time with the wounded as well even if it's sort of mm-hmm. like you know steven's recovery is being set in med lab it's all there yeah so. yeah so i mean yeah. they, they chased the shadows away they got them to to back down which is something that has never happened before so yes that is absolutely a victory but it's not like they destroyed every shadow vessel that that was there or anything like that so it was and they lost a lot of their own a lot of their own people doing it it was that was that was very it was a it was a dramatic ending that made me uh happy but also really interested to watch more yeah just like all the best stories mm-hmm. yep exactly Visually, the battle was amazing to watch. Um, mm-hmm. We've we've heard from uh, Mojo when we interviewed him, um, and we've seen a lot about how how slowly they ramped up over a number of years their ability to do complex stuff. And this episode, the combat sequences are. I can't tell a real difference other than perhaps rendering quality between what they did in this episode and what you would see in any space opera produced today. If, if feel, I feel like they turned the corner and there is nothing, their technology isn't limiting them anymore to have a kick-ass space opera uh, shooting match. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stephen was saying that it was. Just, he thought it was very impressive thinking back to just three years ago to season one to notice how much the technology has changed and how good it looks at this point. And he he said uh, the flying saucer is clearly my favorite. That was his immediate, <laughs> immediate comment. He's like, it's effing awesome. He didn't say effing. And uh, and yeah, so it, he, he was very impressed by that. I liked it. I loved seeing Captain Sheridan in you know the the heart of the Mimbari vessel, sort of like the command center where the where the great council had had previously met and right. you know it's very dramatic lighting which is something i love about that space and steven's comment was that some good budgeting there because you know <laughs> they don't have to have any have any set until then they have the screen sort of you know float shimmer down around them so they can see everything it mm-hmm. was uh it just it it made it feel a little bit more epic and cool to have Captain Sheridan and Delenn there together. You know, she's right. Ranger One. He's a military guy who's got all this experience. And it just, yeah, I, I was I was mentally punching the air a little bit. Mm. Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, uh, there she was in the cold open as Ranger One, wearing the yep. cloak, 
mm-hmm. with the badge. It's good to see her being Sheridan's equal in this story. And that's quite what they are. You know, Sheridan tries to be a white guy and tries to talk her out of joining him. And she's like, no, this is our fight. Uh, we're going to take care of this together. And and so they do. It is a perfect partnership, uh, which is also reflected in just how gosh darn cute they are with each other in this episode. <laughs> I know. It's so great. <laughs> Sorry, my squee is getting the better of me. Well, there's There's a bit to squee about in this one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although I will say it was ni- it was a nice bit of restraint um on JMS's part as the battle is ending and the two of them are sort of looking around the shadows have all disappeared and the only thing that's left is like the floating pieces of the ships that were destroyed and you know instead of even they don't even think about kissing they just are just standing together close kind of holding each other. Yeah, you know, it's a much more strength so- from one It's a much more somber strength. moment. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think a lesser author might have been tempted to to have them go for like go for a kiss instead. And that would have not worked. No, because mm-hmm. the whole point is that we don't know if this was if this is actually going to turn out to have been a great thing for us to do or not. Um, or maybe they just didn't kiss because uh, they're really into exhibitionism. And since there weren't any other Mimbari in the room, <laughs> that they just weren't feeling it. Or maybe somehow those uh, th- that room actually is, is broadcasting them to screen somewhere, too. And they're not exhibitionist and just decided <laughs> to keep it cool this time. You know, one bridge full of Mimbari is okay. A ton of bridges full of Mimbari, not so good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, the whole thrust of this episode in terms of this A plot is everything that they've been leading up to in the previous episodes, uh, figuring out the, the, the telepath weakness, figuring out that the shadows are herding the refugees into uh, a central sector for a big terror attack. You know, they have been proactively laying the groundwork for this battle and we get this this battle that we've been waiting for for several episodes, and it is not a letdown at all. No, and actually, you know, the, the build-up to it, I think, is also really great, just, just within the episode itself. We have a Marcus and Ivanova going off and basically being told, you've only got about a 50-50 chance of coming back alive. And then, you know, we've talked about about Sheridan and Delenn and their chemistry, and oh my god, there's I can't remember exactly which scene it is, but I have a note in my notes just about how how Bruce Boxleitner is just so damn charismatic. And when you have him and Delenn together, they just, there's real chemistry there. It's so much better than, than a lot of TV couples that I have seen. So it's just, it, it's wonderful to see them shine. And then on the other hand, you get to see Ivanova and Marcus, you know, prepping for this big battle and, and Ivanova with her, you know, sort of pre-battle nerves or, you know, pre-whatever nerves just wandering around in her wonderful line about who wants to live forever and Marcus saying, well, actually, actually I do. I do. But, yeah. but what the hell? Uh, so that was that was also fun. I just felt like the whole build up to stuff happening, it wasn't, I didn't feel like I was impatient for the battle to get started because I was enjoying the things I was watching that came before it as well. It was a nice ramp up. And a line was delivered uh, somewhere al- al- along the way here, um, and I'm just going to look for it because I want to. I want to say he he said something in Mimbari that was translated as "My words are inadequate to the burden of my heart." That's what he said, right? <laughs> That's what he. <laughs> no, That's he not said, what the subtitles he said. He said sure. he says you're the most beautiful woman I've ever met to Susan. Um, I mean, honestly, both of those are pretty like whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's crushing he's crushing hard yeah and then he and then he blows the Which moment with his uh with his uh four poster reaction Ugh. yes too much <laughs> Ugh. so uh i i do actually have to ask the question too much uh we get some hijinks with uh susan trying to sleep in a minbari bed and the first time I saw this scene and the uh, the bed ratcheting in the back direction and her sliding off, I was highly amused. 
this time I felt more like it's kind of goofy. She would have gotten off before she, she slid would have moved off sooner. First. Yes, uh, but not necessarily. <laughs> I honestly I like that scene because I thought you know what that is exactly what I would do. I had that moment I was like, yep, I would just wait because it's moving slowly. I'd be like, I wouldn't try to get off. I would probably hurt myself. I would just wait and just slide onto the floor gently. <laughs> So I so I, I stand. I guess by in that, that case, scene. I would have expected her her grumble or damn it or whatever to come a little sooner as as it was <laughs> happening, rather than after she'd already hit the floor. Maybe okay, that's fair. So uh, too too goofy with the Ivanova stuff, or um, was it just the right level of humor in an otherwise heavy episode? I think it worked for me. I just i i think maybe i would have gotten to the pillows on the floor a little bit sooner <laughs> than yeah. she did but yeah, that, that was the logical solution that was great yeah <laughs> that's the a plot and then we have the b plot and walkabout comes to an end and i've got lots and lots of thoughts about it but at the risk of monologuing early i think i'd rather monologue <laughs> late and get your feedback on uh, the resolution of uh, Stephen's journey. Overall, I really enjoyed seeing these scenes again. I remembered generally what happened. You know, Stephen, you know, makes the mistake of, you know, getting involved in something too quickly without any backup of it all, gets himself stabbed. And as he's trying to crawl to uh, somewhere that he can get some help um, to have him, you know, meet himself as he has always been looking to do. I had forgotten just how good Richard Biggs delivers the this second side of him of the, the of throwing all the accusations you were always running away you you know you never faced up to these things and then to just you know towards the end just as our Stephen has finally decided he's got to try again he's going to try and climb that ladder and get to that next shaft or whatever it is and at the very end um second Stephen is actually beginning to turn encouraging just a hint but uh, just the subtlety of that shift um how well i think he sells um the berating of himself um it works very well for me yeah i i agree with all of those things i i have trouble kind of parsing out what my feelings are about the the culmination of this storyline because i don't know i just it's not one that has ever resonated with me as the kind of thing I want to watch. And I think that might just be because I find it uncomfortable to watch somebody going through that, possibly because it's just my own, you know, history of being addiction adjacent. And I think it's very well done. I think the acting is fantastic. I really think this is Richard Biggs shining is possibly his, his best moment with, that we've seen on screen yet. Uh, my Stephen commented on how well the, the the two of them in the same shot was done and, yeah, and actually true. how well how well the other shots were too. He said, you know, it's it's not an easy thing to put two characters in the same same shot together or the, one one character in the same shot twice, I guess is how it is. So they couldn't afford to do it a lot of times. A, it looked good when they did it, and then B, or at the least shots it they... would have if uh, the shots had been up-resed the right. way the film is. But yes, that's another I mean, just... argument for another day, <laughs> for sure. You know, when you compare it with any of the other special effects shots uh, within the the episode, the same thing. Um, and then B is that that when there were shots with a body double, they they made sense. They didn't look very obvious like you know we needed to shoot from this angle because we have to have a body double because it's not the same person it all it all just seemed very well directed i think kim friedman did a fantastic job with that with that particular part of it and and yeah i guess that's really all i have to say about it uh, so but, go for oh, your monologue chip uh, but, I'm, oh, I'm interested richard, before i monologue though richard biggs's range mm-hmm. i mean yeah he 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 goes from wistful at the beginning uh with the obligatory cute kid with the ball scenario (laughs) Um, actually at that moment the uh the the, we had steven and i have my steven and i have been watching gilmore girls and uh so when that scene happened with the the mom and the kid steve just turns to me and goes how come emily gilmore just showed up on babylon 5 (laughs) (laughs) i laughed out loud uh but uh you know wistful and lost steven and then nervous and scared Stephen when he confronts the uh, muggers um, and then broken and desperate and then weak and on the verge of giving up and then 
we bring in his hallucinatory double and tough and uncompromising. Just so much freaking range in a single episode. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Is it possible that Richard Biggs is the proto-Tatiana Maslany? No, but he's really good. <laughs> I was watching that last uh, confrontation between Stephen and Stephen fairly closely. We're recording this episode on World Mental Health Day. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've struggled with in my life is uh, trying to find mindfulness, trying to find a uh, purpose uh, or a sense of sense of defining myself in ways other than what I'm not. And watching this scene really sort of uh, hit me hit me between the eyes. Um, and I'm not sure that I agree with all of the answers that are provided in this scene and uh, the lesson of Stephen's walkabout, you know, basically he tells himself that this was stupid. He shouldn't have gone on walkabout in the first place. He should have, if you'll excuse the vernacular, manned up and decided what he wanted and gone after that rather than running away from his problems. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not so sure about that. I think that sometimes you need sympathy to get through a bad patch. And sometimes you need to be challenged to get through a bad patch. This seems to argue that the answer is simply, you know, face the harsh challenge, uh, stand up and walk no matter how much it hurts. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you there because, I mean, if if Stephen, if we could go back in time and Stephen could have made that choice to just stick with it and, you know, come clean to Sheridan and try to get clean and try to stay in med lab, do you, th- do you think that he would have actually succeeded in that? I don't know. I mean, it looks like at this point that he has come to some sort of realization and understanding with him, within himself that he's going to uh, take his job back now that, you know, Sheridan has offered it to him. And I... I am not convinced that if he would would have skipped this whole this whole finding himself epi- episode, and I don't mean that specifically <laughs> this episode, but the episode in his life, I don't know that he would have been successful and been able to continue. So I, I agree with you. I think that was another that was actually something that did resonate with me as well. The the, the defining himself by what he wasn't because that is something that I too did for a long time in my life and kind of I don't think I ever came to quite the the clear realization that I was doing that but along the lines I slowly stopped and yeah life has been much better since I've started defining myself by the things that I can do and what I am as opposed to the opposite so I I definitely agree with that part of it that is important but I think the journey to get to a place where you can do that sometimes really does have to be a journey and yeah, so I'm I'm with you, Chip. I, th- I think that it may have been a very important thing for him to do this, not just for dramatic purposes, but for him as a you know theoretical person. I think you have to also render t- think about or remember that this was what this was Stephen's viewpoint of what he felt he had to do, um, and his own viewpoint coming back at him to say, you know, look, you, you got to quit doing this. You've got to start choosing your path instead of, you know, running and letting your path choose you. Um, and there's the counterbalance of Garibaldi's guilt earlier, you know, Zach trying to tell Garibaldi, you know, you could not have done, you know, you tried, you tried to do the right thing. You know, you tried to support Stephen in the manner you felt best, and he took off anyway. Um, so there's that conversation to sort of balance it. And, you know, again, Stephen winds up telling himself what what he thinks he needs to hear to to fi- to figure out what to do to get himself um through this final harrowing bit of his journey which he did not intend to go this way certainly he did not intend to get injured um he did not intend to get himself stabbed and uh nearly die in the process so Overall, you know, having those extra nuances of the Garibaldi conversation earlier and all that helped uh, for me to bring this to a satisfying conclusion. Yeah. A couple of thoughts about that. Um, When I watched this episode years ago, 
Stephen's closing uh, sort of monologue, the lessons I learned to Sheridan, felt kind of pat and trite to me at the time. They feel wiser today, in part because I've been struggling with some of those same issues myself. Uh, Another side point is that uh, it kind of got me in the gut a little bit watching that scene between Garibaldi and um, Zach, um, two actors who (laughs) themselves had issues with substance abuse, two actors who are no longer with us, and definitely in um, Jeff Conway's uh, case, and I believe I've seen some uh, coverage that indicated that substance abuse contributed to uh, Jerry Doyle's uh, com- uh, comparatively early death. Just that kind of that kind of stings a little bit. Seeing two characters, um, and you know JMS knew this. You know these were two characters who were on the upswing after those kinds of issues, and they're basically the actors are speaking through the characters, and the characters are speaking through the actors, and it's very personal. Mm-hmm. And I you, had that, I and, had it, and, and goodness, I wish it had ended better for those actors. Mm-hmm. And it is, and then Stephen, like I pointed that out to Stephen because I was like, "Oh my heart, this is just so sad." And he was like, "Yeah, he's you know these two actors who have passed, and they're talking about another actor who is also no longer with us." I was like, "Oh, Babylon Five, you break my heart in so many ways." Oh, yeah, star crossed, star crossed in so many mm-hmm. ways. Um, but uh, but a good ending, and um, I do like the Stephen that I see in Med Lab and in the end in his wheelchair. Yep. Yep. A good ending and a good new beginning, we hope. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty much everything that happens in Shadow Dancing. We have the big space <gasps> battle, and we have hey, Stephen's hey, hey, resu- hey, 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 wait a minute. Do not make us hurt you, sir. What? What <laughs> What did I miss? Hmm. Laura Ingalls came back. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I believe she played her mom on Broadway or, or uh, in a musical or something like that. So. I wouldn't be surprised, but I do remember that watching this the first time through um but that was my first connection when melissa gilbert walks through that door is just like you know oh my god it's laura ingles because yes i watched the hell out of little house when i was young i never watched little house on the prairie i knew she was from oh, that I show because books. i always kind I of the, the my yeah. uh my family actually uh her laura ingles the real laura ingles and her right? family lived with my family uh, back in in minnesota uh, years ago, it was it was a summer she didn't write about, but or no winter she didn't write about, but but yeah. So I've always sort of kept an eye on Laura Ingalls type stuff, so I knew who she was that she had that she had played that character, and and yeah, the, the thing that I knew was that she was actually married to Bruce Boxleitner in real life, which Stephen was very amused by. Well, it's a damn good recast. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. uh, we never really got the full reason why uh, the why Anna was recast. Uh, they even talked at one point about possibly going back when they went to DVD and digitally replacing um, the previous actress in the uh, video to uh, Sheridan mm. uh, with, uh, with, with with a reshoot with Melissa Gilbert. Obviously, this is Babylon 5. There is never the budget for nice things. Um, (laughs) But yeah, kind of a dramatic reveal, wouldn't you say? Boy, oh boy, oh boy. That was just so, as I was telling Stephen once the episode ended, I was, the first time I saw that, it it hit me like a, a freight train, like a ton of bricks, like a Mack truck. You know, choose your analogy. That is how it hit me. Even because, even given that you'd only really started watching mm-hmm. uh, that midway through that very season? Yes, absolutely. It only took half a season for me to to really, really, really be behind this couple. Like I said earlier in the podcast, the two of them on screen have such amazing chemistry together that I only needed a few episodes to just be very, very firmly on the Sheridan and Delenn ship ship because I was I was sailing along with them and then this happens and I was I was just crushed. I wasn't I just wasn't ready for it. And it felt I don't know, it felt like the most sort of soap opera-y thing, and I'm not saying that derogatorily, because I actually enjoy soap operas quite a bit. It just, it it was a, a turn I was not expecting at it's all. The, yeah, and, and it just, um, to cross our fandoms again, it just hit me that, you know, this is like 
you know, Jameis teaching Russell T. Davies what to do. It's like, you know, they're the doctor and Rose are about to reunite. No, I'm going to throw a Dalek in there. Yeah, that kind of thing. <laughs> ah. Anna Sheridan as a Dalek. I will not? remind you for the record that Torchwood 4 vanished mysteriously and was never seen again. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> oh, but yeah, that's especially on top of, you know, as we said, all the cuteness, all the flirty of, as Delenn describes this um, ritual to, to Sheridan. Uh, and, you know, yay, her language barrier as she's trying to grope for the right word and Sheridan does not know where this is going. Um, yeah, trying to um, mm-hmm. explain that that what will get cut off is access to the family. Um <laughs> Yeah, all that sort of stuff. And yeah, to have, yeah, to have Anna Sheridan come in and just bring all that to this to a screeching halt, um, closing mm-hmm. our war without end flash forward. Um, if that yeah. is who she is. Yeah, well. it didn't it didn't match 100 percent to what her vision was, uh, but it was. It was, I, I think that that's that is who she saw. Stephen actually, when we were watching War Without End, he thought that might be like a little boy or a young girl because Melissa Gilbert's voice is so very high. So I was like, nope, this is the same. But it's it doesn't match exactly. So I don't know if that's just supposed to be because time travel is slightly iffy. Prophecies aren't exactly right or what. But or she yeah, only she says was- hello in War Without End. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think I think we just conveniently cut away there. Uh, but mm-hmm. uh, that's a good that's a nice uh, sc- snow globe uh, crash. Uh, two snaps up for the snow globe uh, shattering. That's uh, well mm-hmm. done. Um, <laughs> we get other flashbacks or dream exposition stuff. You know, we get we get a lot of the stuff from All Alone in the Night just sort of shoveled into our faces towards the end of the episode and that's that's a little that seems a little forced to me as my use of the phrase shoveled into our faces might have indicated um (laughs) but uh but we do get we do get some retroactive sense making about that and what the various components of that vision might have been i wasn't sure that that was necessary to that episode but there we go. I've, I kind of liked the uh, the POV shots that we got as she's as Anna is walking through the station, and you know you don't actually later. see who it is, but you know that somebody's coming, and you're pretty sure that it's it's something to do with a little ship that came out of the belly of a shadow ship, and and something is coming and getting closer, and and that was just another piece of direction that I that I quite enjoyed that we get get that little extra hint of oh, what's happening. What I think Chip was talking about was. Uh, the mishmash i think i'm not sure it had to be pulling apart the dream stuff although you know at some point yes that was going to have to happen um but intercutting the beginning of anna's journey the fact that there's a shadow ship prepping this little tiny ship and while sheridan and delin and ivanova are all trying to figure out what what these things mean what the shadow's next move is going to be and so mm-hmm. it felt like there had to be something sort of intercutting those two things together. But yeah, I, I, I agree with Chip, though, you know, sort of as they thrashed it out, it did feel kind of forced. Yeah. And it felt like they were jumping to conclusions that maybe they didn't really have like a, a real basis for jumping to. It seemed like they were putting things together much more adroitly than I would have had, I, you know, if I didn't have any, the information that I have as, you know, having seen everything. It's weird. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts before we go into the jump gate? This time, it really annoyed me, unless there's something about the chain of command I'm not picking up on, that Zach would contact Ivanova first and not just go ahead and contact the captain. But, you know, that, drama. I'm not military. I don't. Yeah, drama. Yeah. You know, if I'm if I'm Zach, if I'm Zach, you know, and that that may not be, you know, Garibaldi might have handled it differently. But if I'm Zach, and somebody tells me that the captain's dead wife just walked onto the ship, maybe the captain wouldn't be the first call. Especially after his behavior with Morden. Remember, Zach got to be the chief security officer for a while because That's Sheridan true. just went so far off the handle that, that Garibaldi actually quit. Maybe he wanted to avoid something catastrophic happening like that. So he wanted to sort of ease into it by con- contacting Vivanova first. Maybe. Just at the time, it sort of leapt out at me as odd. Other final thoughts? Because we got some uh, jump gates to jump through. 
Well, I can just do a quick, uh, quick Stephen check in. Uh, speaking of the, <laughs> the deleted Sheridan scene at the end, he thought that the whole idea of this whole ritual was pretty creepy. <laughs> He's like, Minbari <laughs> rituals are creepy. Like, that's just, uh-uh. And, and he was very, very surprised by, you know, the appearance of Anna Sheridan at the end. He was just like, what? Very excited. Um, he also, for the first time, and so did I, in this episode, at one point, there's a like quite a close-up on Delenn, as we talked about. Kim Friedman loves those extreme close-ups. And Steve turned to me, he's like, it has taken me three seasons minus one episode to, to realize that Delenn has no eyebrows. And I was like, oh, I just <laughs> noticed that too. It was, it, just, it was made very obvious by that particular particular shot so that was that was a funny thing that we noticed um steven also likes the fact that we don't know what we are counting down to because we still have the z minus you know we're only a couple days away from whatever it is and he's very he likes that that they're giving us a hint but they're not telling us what it is and afterwards when we were talking about it he said that was a good episode he really liked it uh but he was he was kind of surprised that um you know that we haven't seen more of the telepaths as he refers to Lita, because he just calls her mm-hmm. the telepath uh, at this point, because she's a telepath. And that's an important thing right now. Uh, and then he was like, yeah, and I'm surprised the new Kosh hasn't been there. Like, you know, he's like, hey, I'm the new Kosh. I'm just as effing useless as the old one. <laughs> uh, he didn't say effing. Uh, and he's like, yeah, he's like that new Kosh. He's like the new neighbor you meet when they're moving in and then you never see them again. Like they just they're just there in the building. So he was he was a little bit annoyed by that, which, of course, made me laugh. So, yeah, he's very excited to see what comes next. Very, very excited. Well, what comes next? You know, ordinarily we would be explicit in telling the name of the next episode. But since Stephen is as yet unaware of that, why should not? He knows. Oh, he knows. Yeah. Next time. Zahadoom. Mm-hmm. We know what Z That's right. minus episode, counts for. Episode titles, not spoilers. Episode titles are not spoilers. So next time, episode 65, Zaha Doom, the season finale, the end of season three, point of no return. And we will, uh, as has become our tradition for the season finale, we will bring Steven in uh, onto the bridge before uh, before the jump gate to uh, mm-hmm. share our conversation about the episode. So... Please, please tune in for that. Oh, my God, Erica, you're going to have to moderate your husband. Oh, dear. (laughs) Well, that's all right. That's like every day. (laughs) (laughs) Zing. Oh, goodness. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Follow us on Twitter at B5 Audio Guide. Uh, Do whatever you do on Tumblr at B5 Audio Guide there as well. Please jump into the spoiler and spoiler-free chat threads. Thanks for listening, and strap in tight, because we're going to open a jump gate right now. And, ladies and gentlemen, let's pause for a moment and reflect on the fact that Marcus pretty much declared his undying love for Susan, and that means, of course, that the inevitable Joss Whedoning is in their future. <laughs> Although, Boy, to be fair, man. this time it wasn't JMS's idea. Well... Wasn't that Claudia... What, wasn't that the actress deciding? One deciding of them... Claudia Christian leaves the show at the end of season four. If she had planned to leave all along, Marcus might have survived this. Mm-hmm. As it is, we lose both characters. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you um, Boo. But uh, but it is nice to see finally that uh, Marcus just lays it out there. We've always known that he uh, we've always known that he fancies her, and he certainly appreciated the the very romantic tossing of the roses. <laughs> Delenn and Sheridan isn't the only ship that's sailing. Only this ship is more like a submarine. <laughs> well put. Y'all got any other uh, spoilery thoughts about the future of the uh, of Babylon Five uh, as revealed in this episode? Well, I could I, I could say the thing that I almost said uh, back in non-spoiler space. Yeah. <laughs> Poor Chip had to, to cut out. Uh, and that outtakes, was, that outtakes was the, everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had I only had several episodes to to jump on the the Sheridan and Delenn train, which I totally did. 
But had I'm wondering if had I seen the whole show from the very beginning, if it would have been a little bit less of a surprise, because as we find out that Dylan may have actually known that or knew, at least knew that there was a chance that Anna could still be alive somewhere. And had I known more about Dylan's character going all the way back, I might I might have suspected something more like that because Dylan really plays her cards close to the vest all the way through. And this is another example of that. So I don't know. It, it, there's a possibility it might have hit me less hard if I wouldn't have, have just seen the... F- I mean, really, once I jumped on, like that was when the ship was getting ready to sail. Mm-hmm. So I, I really saw the, the strongest portion of that. And I was just primed for, for go, 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 romance, go, and then crash. Yeah. I Well, I'm trying to remember having, you know, watched from the beginning. I'd um, I don't think that got lampshaded enough to be obvious that uh that Anna herself might turn up again alive. I mean, uh, it was the it was yes the perfect place for something to derail them. You know, having had a somewhat victory in, in battle and uh their personal relationship is t- you know taking the next step. Um, but yeah, I I think I was just as surprised. Um at the direction that JMS went with having Anna Sheridan turn up. This seems like a good time for me to uh, get my weird archivist Babylon 5 fan hat on. Um, (laughs) It's a very big hat. Yeah. There are a couple of the original runs of uh, the Babylon 5 novels that JMS actually considered canon. He um, gave outlines to the writers about what he'd like covered. And the seventh of those books was The Shadow Within, written by Jean Cavellos. And that is the story of the Icarus reaching Zahadum and stuff that was happening around the same time uh, involving Sheridan and the Agamemnon um, and a brief look in on Sinclair and Delin. This seems like a good time to drop in uh, just a little bit more about what actually happened to Anna, because this is the spoiler section. Um, mm-hmm. And Anna and the Icarus crew did explore Zahadum. Interplanetary expeditions basically pretended that a probe had supposedly discovered a new civilization there, uh, but what they didn't tell uh, most of the expedition was that they actually knew about the shadow ship buried on Mars and had traced its signal to Zahadum. Um, so uh, there was a fair bit of conspiracy involved there. And Anna and Morden and other crew members from the Icarus arrived, and basically Blair Witch stuff started happening to them. Anna and Morden almost escaped, but the Shadows offered Morden a deal he couldn't refuse. I'll leave that vague for um, those of you who want to check out the books and not be completely spoiled, but um, there is a connection to some jewelry that uh, Morden is seen wearing in the show, and that's actually explained in this. Anna, of course refused to make such a deal and got dumped into a shadow vessel, just as is described in Zahadum coming up. So it's a, it's a good story, actually. It's a good book. If you have the chance to uh, dig it up, I'd uh, recommend it. Let's see here. Um, another post-spoiler thought that I had, you know, I like the way that Sheridan, you know, it's it's sort of it's sort of artificial for him to be suddenly working through his dream experience uh with uh, Ivanova and the others but this is a bit of a reminder that there is some kosh hiding around in Sheridan's mind and yeah, now mean, that you've just said that I think that's partially to support what winds up happening at the beginning of season four as Sheridan and Lorien are talking and Lorien's like by the way do you know you have a Vorlon inside you just to sort <laughs> of you know sort of so, an extra reminder at the end of one season because there'll be a gap um, when this comes up again at the beginning of another season. Yeah, I, but I do like this, and and that's one of those things that I think you only pick up on when you watch a second or third or fiftieth time. Is that uh, <laughs> there's a reason why he's you know because because Sheridan doesn't just snap his fingers and say hey I remember he j- he winces and he rubs his temple you know I right. think there's something in there trying to get out myself. Yeah, good point. Uh, any other spoilery bits? I don't think so. I mean, we're just uh, we're so in the middle of it right now. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's like we're we're at the spoil spoilery stuff, kind of. 
the, yeah, what, one other thing that sort of made me flash forward myself watching the episode uh, is when Sheridan and Delenn uh, get onto the tactical command center deck on the Mimbari ship. And, you know, it's yes, it's the Grey Council chambers, but there's only like a couple of shafts of light and they're each standing one. That made me think of the confrontation uh, in the final battle with the shadows where, you know, each of them is separated alone in the dark and the only light is like on them and uh, the representative of the Vorlons and the representative of the shadows as they argue their cases. Yeah. Uh, my last thought is as excellent as this uh, space battle was in this episode, enjoy it. Look at it very closely this is the pinnacle of Foundation Imaging's work on Babylon 5. And after Zahadum, uh, which is not as effects-heavy an episode, that comes to an end. B5 uh, brought all of the work in-house with a, uh, with a new visual effects team that was, that was sort of all in the family of uh, JMS's co-executive producer, Douglas Netter. So Netter Digital Entertainment takes over the animation after Zaha Doom. So this is the pinnacle of Foundation Imaging's work, and uh, they take that work over to a different universe uh, as they uh, did some work for the, with uh, Deep Space Nine and Voyager. So sort of luxuriate, luxuriate in the effects in this episode, I think. I did. I certainly did. <laughs> yep. And that is an abbreviated jump gate section because, yeah, we are sort of getting to the point where it's less of a mystery now and more of a big, huge plot train that's just barreling mm -hmm. down the tracks. Yeah, I mean, this did feel a little bit more like a culmination episode in a lot of ways than one that's answering a lot of questions. You know, we got Steven sort of pulled pulled together and he's going to, you know, he is going to stay in MedLab. We've got, you know, the, the League of Non-Aligned Worlds pulling together and they will, you know, pull together until they don't need to anymore. And so, yeah, this is, I feel like a lot of stuff comes together here and it's not as much of a starting point as some other episodes are. Yeah. Like the next one. I think we'll have a lot to say in spoiler space for Zaha Doom. <laughs> yeah, maybe a little. Just a bit. Edmonton will be the center of the universe uh, for our next podcast. Uh, well, no, actually, we'll be equally divided, equally divided between mm -hmm. Durham and Edmonton. Until there spoiler space, and then it'll be <laughs> heavily on you guys again. Then we'll rest it back under American hegemony. Oh, don't start. <laughs> Enjoy that. <laughs> Oh, so thank you all for listening. Thank you, Erica and Shannon. And mm -hmm. until then, this is Chip in Durham. Erica in Edmonton. And Shannon in Durham. And you have been listening to the audio guide to Babylon 5. And I think it might have also made it a little more surprising because I didn't have all of the history of Delenn sort of playing her cards so close to her, close to the vest. Because, uh, you know, watching uh, re the whole... Restate, that's, that's, you're getting kind of spoilery there. Well, she... Oh, you're right. Thank you. <laughs> Good point. To the rescue! Chip the spoiler cup! The next episode, episode 65 of the Audio Guide to Babylon 5, will be covering Zahadum. We'll be covering Zahadum. We'll be covering. You know, if I didn't know that this would be going into the outtakes at the end, I'd be screaming right now. <laughs> Podcats. Yes.